Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Here we go. What you think about Hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm so glad that you are with us today. I'm Lori LeBay, your host. And for those of you that are new, Alzheimer's Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. We want to talk with people that are in the trenches dealing with things from living and caring for somebody, a person with dementia, researchers, people providing services, products, and tools, a little bit of everything. So maybe you can be one of our guests. Now, if you enjoyed our opening music, it's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band, and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms. Today, we're going to be talking with an author that's written a very interesting book. But before I introduce her, I want to give some shout outs. One is to DementiaMap.com. You can go there for all kinds of resources and find out about events as well. That's DementiaMap.com. There's also the Memory Cafe directory, which is really exciting because the Memory Cafes are now starting to open back up. And you'll be able to find those that are meeting in person as well as those still continuing online. I'm personally, I'm still doing mine in Minnesota online, but anybody around the world is open to join us. We do that on the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month from 1 to about 2, 2.30 in the afternoon central time. I also want to give a shout out to Lorenzo's house. We just did a show on them. Uh, the other day, but they are doing a youth camp. And that is going to happen on June 21st. So you're going to want to find out more about that. Just go to lorenzoshouse.org. And you can go to their events section to learn more, but it'll be a really fun thing for, I believe it's middle school to college age children. Also on June 23rd, I will be uh, doing a presentation actually on Dementia Map, which will be virtual. And you can find out more information on that. Just go to alzheimerspeaks.com on our main page. And then one last reminder is Mods Ventures is giving seed money, $50,000 to $100,000 for three different challenges. So check out Mods Ventures and uh, learn more there. So it's time to introduce you to our guest. I am thrilled to have with us Carolyn Boxel, and she is a mother of five, a primary school teacher, a tutor, and an author. And her connection to dementia was through her mother-in-law who lived in a care home. And that was her inspiration 
to write a middle grade children's book, which is full of twists and turns. It's incredible. She, she's going to share more uh, about her book with us. She's living over in the UK and, you know, she really wanted to help raise awareness of different types of dementias and how that, how that shows up and how we deal with it. And, um, I'm glad to bring her over to America to share, as well as all the other countries, as we do have a global platform. Well, Caroline, I'm so excited to have you with us today. In the intro, I, I mentioned that your, your mother-in-law had dementia, but can you give us a little more detail, a little more background, just as to how that affected you and your family? Yes, yeah, so we're, we're a big family. I've got five children, and uh, my mother-in-law about 10 years ago we noticed that she started forgetting things and repeating things and just not being quite herself um after my father-in-law died we saw quite a lot of her because she lived quite near us and um she would come for tea every every sunday afternoon and um my husband would go and fetch her and bring her back and she would always try and make us a cake or a flan or something nice to eat and uh I think we realized that something was wrong when she brought her cake and she proudly opened the tin and there'd been no egg in the tin, so uh, in the cake, in the cake mixture. So of course it was just like a flat pancake and we all dutifully sat there and ate it and we said, oh, grandma, it's fantastic. Thank you so much. And she said, oh, oh I think I must have, I think I left out the sugar. And, um, and we, we, re we realized that maybe something wasn't quite right. And it just, got a little bit worse really slowly because she was already well into her 80s when this started and um, it we were lucky I suppose that it was quite quite a slow progress but then she started saying really strange things and for us as a family to cope with that we we tried not to get sad we tried to see the funny side of it and so when she said things, we, we didn't laugh at her. We tried to laugh with her because she had a really good sense of humor. And so when she said something funny, we would, we would say, oh, grandma, that's fantastic. I love the way you said that. And she would then almost play on it. It was almost as if she knew. And so she would carry on the conversation. And we have one, there's a, a family and she, she died about three years ago, but we always call a Kiwi K-I, Gabrielle, I, because, um, and, and that every time anyone mentions the word Kiwi, we, we always have a bit of a laugh and we remember grandma because one day she made a flan and she said, I put Kiwis in this flan. And we said, oh, Kiwis, because it was obviously peaches. And she said, yeah, Kiwis, you know, K-I, Gabrielle, I. And so we always call it K-I, Gabrielle, I from, from then on. And, Little things like that that she said, which were, you know, you could take them as being heartbreaking breaking and really, really sad and negative. But we tried to make it fun. And, and afterwards, and, and my children, there are 16 years between the eldest and the youngest. And the youngest, Charlie, he was only two when all this started. And, um, and so we would say, oh, do you remember when grandma said this, that and the other? And at the end of, you know, we'd all take it in turns to have a chat with her. And at the end, we'd compare notes and we'd have a a smile and a laugh about what she'd said, um, not in an unkind way, in any way at all, just, just because we, in, we were trying to enjoy her as she was, because she wasn't the same grandmother that she had been previously. So we tried to make the most of it. And, and then um, 
it came to a time when we had to get a carer. She she'd had a very bad experience with her mother who'd had to go into a home in in Switzerland. She was Swiss, and um, her mother-in-law was in a very severe home. Um, and my my mother-in-law didn't know really what was going on and as she was in England it was quite difficult to keep track so she always said to my husband please don't ever put me in a home and I think that's the same with a lot of people as they're getting older they don't they don't want to be put in a home and she said I really want to stay in my house please don't put me in a home so it that was really difficult and we had a carer who lived in with her for for a while but it, it was it was uncanny every, every time we went anywhere we wouldn't go far away but anytime we went anywhere we'd get a call she'd either fallen or something had happened and and we'd had to have to come back and um in the end the one carer couldn't cope and two carers couldn't cope and so the time in fact she she ended up in hospital and uh, the hospital said she she needs to go into a home so that's why we then had to to move her and in fact, the first home we moved her into to was, was quite nice. It was near us, but then a space came up at a really, really nice home that was very close to us. And, um, and so she, she spent about a couple of years in there. And it was while she was in there, and in fact, all the time leading up to, to that, her time in hospital, her time in the first home, the time in the second home, we met some fantastic people. She was on the dementia floor, but the people we met and, and the different types of dementia that we, we came across because we visited quite a lot. And um, that was when I thought, this is, these are really interesting characters. And I, my, my perception of dementia was never, um, it, it was just a sad thought that, that somebody was not able to remember things. That, that was pretty much all I knew about it. But, but seeing all these different people and, and, and the different levels of dementia and, and some really young people as well, which is, was sad, really, really sad. People who had been um, doctors and um, business people and, and reduced in their capacities, but still very much people to be, you know, to, to talk to. And, and they were great fun to talk to as well. And, a bit like on our Saturday, Sunday afternoon tea parties, we would come back home and we'd say, oh, I spoke to Brian and he said this and I spoke to, and it made our visits to grandma so much more fun because we were, we were looking for interesting and exciting and funny things that people said. And I think that's the only way we could deal with it, to, to see the funny side of it and to, to make it into not, it's, it's harsh to say entertainment, but make it into a, a fun visit for all of us. And my, my son, who was about five by then, he, it was him, he, he just, he hadn't known grandma when she, not really before the Alzheimer's struck. And um, so he would speak to her um, just as if there was, that's how, that's grandma, that's how she is. There's nothing sad, that's grandma. She, she doesn't remember things. I have to speak really, really loudly. And he would do that to all the people in the home. And, um, and the things that the, the people said back to him because he was so little, it was, it was just fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. 
And he started playing the piano when he was about seven, just because they had a piano in this home. And he wanted to be able to play Christmas carols for them. And so he, he, he learned to play in the bleak midwinter. And that was his only carol, but he played it every time he went in and they would clap and then he played again. <laughs> and it was, it was fantastic. We, we, we just loved it. And he loved going in and he would stand up and he'd take a bow. And it, it, it was, I mean, anywhere else it would just look really precocious, but because of where we were, it just didn't matter at all. And he had no inhibitions at all. And that's when I thought to myself, these characters should be in a book what would happen if a child found himself living on the dementia floor of a care home? And I thought there's no way a child could ever live on the dementia floor of a care home. And so I had to think up a reason why you had to be there. And, uh, and that's how I got the idea for my, my story, that, it, that is the basis of it. And I used a lot of the characters from the various places, the hospitals and the care homes, um, a lot of them are, are in the book, obviously with different names um, and tweaked quite a lot, but I, I knew it was real. I knew I knew these things could be said because they actually had been said, they, they had been done. And uh, so it was, it was fun writing it and it was fun remembering my mother-in-law um, and how she was when she was in, in the home. Well, you know, I, I love when you're talking about your son because my daughter only knew her grandma with dementia too. And there was no difference, a total acceptance. Let's just play, um, no judging. <clears throat> Everybody's a little different, you know? And I just think children are brilliant and can teach us adults so much. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you kind of saw the light between them and, and you know, wrote this book to, to highlight this. And when you talk about characters, you know, some people might say, well, they're people, not characters. And it's like, we all have characters. We're, we're all characters in this big thing. So I know that that's not meant offensively by, by any stretch at all, but it is their personalities or their characters that, that just bring everything to life. I, when you were talking about that, it brought me back to visiting my mom and the different people and their personality styles and, you know, from the the grumpy old person that didn't socialize and just wanted to put everybody down to there was one woman and she was like a hundred years old and she watched over my mom and she would come up and every time she'd say she'd come and sit by me and she'd hold my hand and she'd go you know your mom's having a, a hard time sometimes but don't worry honey because I'm here for her you know and it was just like oh melt my heart i mean just this huge huge variety and then you have the the repeaters and you know the uh, the agitators and um there's just so many different things that come out but uh, how you can deal with each of those mannerisms and the stories they tell are just incredible so so in in the book we have a, a war veteran and he has ptsd um and he helps billy who's the the protagonist he helps Billy with the history project and, and tells him all about his experiences in, in the war. Um, and then we have Beryl, who um, I, I've just written it down here to remind me of which. Yeah, so Beryl, Beryl sounds very much like your your um, hundred year old lady. Beryl has frontotemporal dementia and she was very much um, the 
uh, I, I don't like the look of you today. I, I don't really want to, I don't want to talk to you today. And just so blunt. And, and that, that's how she was. It was fine. You just accepted that. And you thought, oh, well, I better go home and brush my hair or something. <laughs> Um, and then, and then we had Mary, um, who has vascular dementia, and um, and then she has a, a stroke as well. And she was actually based on three characters that I merged together. Two of whom were actually called Mary, but um, I don't, there are plenty of Marys in England, so I don't think anyone will realise who they are. <clears throat> but um, it, it it was it was very easy to get the characters right in the home because. They were, they were there. They were real people, and they said those real things. Love when you said the the war vet, and he helped with the school project. I mean, it, it just like melts my heart. I, I just think sometimes, and, and actually a lot of times, people overlook what they can give and contribute um, to our lives because we've we've just been told they can't. You know, they can't participate. They can't give. They can't understand. They can't do and you know, to give them value again, to be able to participate. And then you just see that pride and they start sitting up straighter and the smiles that come on their face. And it, it just changes, in my opinion, the whole atmosphere in the room, you know, when you give somebody purpose and, um, and, and that kind of ripples off. There's that deep connection when people are talking, you know, passionately and, and really truly engaged, not just, you know what's the weather type thing but but really having meaningful conversations and not that we know if the details are always right but when you're engaged it really doesn't make any difference because you're really listening yeah i think that's one of the things we found that it was it was difficult to begin with especially for my husband i think when when she was saying things that really hadn't happened or didn't happen or they'd happened to somebody else and she was saying it happened to her and he was trying to they know that and trying to remind her what actually happened and then it didn't take long before we got the grip got to grips with the fact that it didn't really matter what the conversation was it didn't matter if she got it right or if she got it wrong you could have a really good conversation and I had a really good conversation with her once about whether she ought to have another baby and um and it it, you know, it stays with me because it was a really special conversation she said you know Caroline I'm really thinking about having another baby. Uh, and I, I said, I think that would be fantastic. We'd love that if you had another baby. And we had such a good conversation. And, um, and we have loads, loads like that, but that was one in particular that I remember. A lot, of, a lot of people thought that their parents would come and visit them. You know, these were 80, 90 year olds who, who still thought their parents were alive and they, they couldn't understand why they hadn't come to visit them. And, that, that, was, that was quite tricky. My mom would ask every once in a while, not a whole lot, but as the disease progressed, she would have conversations with them. And one of the things that I appreciated where she was at, because some, some communities and some staff and, and some people, family members in general will go, oh, she's crazy. Give her medication, that's inappropriate. And it's like, they really got that she, you know, she wasn't stressed. She was extremely comfortable. She was calm. They were alone. Yeah. And this isn't hurting anybody. And, and I, you know, I personally wonder if she really was, you know, kind of across the veil and having those conversations because I've had communication with my mom when she couldn't communicate. She started coming to me in dreams and even after she passed. And, you know, you can tell me those weren't real, but 
they were very specific in the moment, pertinent information every single time. Call me crazy, but you know, none of us really know that for sure what um, that is. It doesn't even matter because for you it's real, you know, that's fine. Yep. Well, and again, as long as nobody's getting hurt, you know, through this, I think sometimes when there are those conversations and, you know, people are looking out the window, just talking or whatever it is. I think for some people, it scares them because they're just fearful that that could actually happen or it doesn't go with their beliefs. And it really has nothing to do with the person and their quality of life at all. You know? <clears throat> and and that's, I think, where we really where we really fall down. Why don't you tell us the title of the book? It's Raining in Moscow. Oh, can you see that? And I forgot my umbrella. Um, and you'll see it. It has a very Russian feel to it. I think you can see that's Billy there. That's Bran. And this is the, the Russian twist in it, which maybe we'll come to a bit later. But it's called, it's called It's Raining in Moscow and I Forgot My Umbrella, but I can't tell you why it's called that because you have to read it. <laughs> so when I was looking at the, the title, it looks like the A's are upside down. Yeah, it's um, it was just it was just to make it look a bit more Russian. Okay. The the graphic, the very clever graphic designer um, Graham Smith, he he made this for me. He uh, he came up with that idea, and I thought, yeah, I, I really like that. It gives a it gives a real Russian feel to it. Okay. Um, I I wasn't sure, or if that was something that you experienced with with your mother-in-law in terms of her writing or something. Oh, I'm thought of that. Now, who was the target for your book? Well, when I wrote it, it was it was aimed at middle grade, so ten to twelve or nine to thirteen. Really, the ten to twelve age group because Billy is age thirteen, so that's who I wrote it for. But since I published it, there've been a lot more adults who've who've read it, and really the people who have experienced relations or friends with dementia they've come back and they've said oh I just love the way you portray all the people with dementia so although it is it is it was meant to raise awareness for for young people but I think I think really adults enjoy it as well I think a lot of times parents if it, if it is a book for their kids they want to read it first anyways because this is a this is a really personal and important message, you know, that you're giving and they're going to want to know that that aligns. But I also think children's books can teach adults a lot, you know, just in the portrayals of, of story and, and how, how you coped, you know, through these storylines and your interactions. I think give people ideas of different ways to do it instead of that typical right or wrong. No, it didn't happen that way. No, it wasn't on that date and not that time. Uh, Harry wasn't there. You know, we're, we're so into always correcting instead of just letting the story be told and listen or, you know, like your son, just not knowing grandma any other way. So this was like no big deal. And and you, I would love to like dive into a, a kid's brain or maybe even just do a panel of them and and ask them about different people in their life, some of them with dementia and how they describe them. Because I think I think it would be just really soft and loving for every single person. They haven't been taught 
at a young age, you know, to really discriminate or, or think things are odd. They're just kind of open. And I think for him, because grandma was really the only old person he knew apart from the other people who lived with her, he just assumed that all old people are completely deaf and have dementia. So for a long time, he was speaking to anyone who was old. He was really yelling at them and, and talking to them as if they had dementia. It didn't really matter, but it was, you know, that's all he knew. I can see that easily. I, I tell this story a lot on the show because it, to me, it still just melts my heart. But I remember the time when my, my daughter, who was, I don't know, between three and five, I can't remember what age, and she was with her grandma and I left them alone for a little bit because it was really important for my mom to be able to watch her grandchild. And I set them up and they, they colored the whole time. But when I walked in the door, they both held up their pictures and you couldn't tell who was prouder. I mean, there was just this innocence of connection and pride. And um, it was just so beautiful to yeah. see and, and to be able to experience that side of um, a parent or a, an in-law or a friend, whoever it might be, to really relish in that innocence that so often is hidden as an adult because we're trying to fit in. We're trying to be what everybody else wants to be. And I think sometimes society as a whole overlooks that that authentic peace that comes out. Because like you said, the, the filters are gone and they just say what they say. Yeah. And I think, I think, what, what can be quite hard is when you see the adult who is regressing almost into childhood and the child who is progressing as they grow up and there's a there comes a point where they actually cross over and the and the child becomes more advanced than the adult who's getting worse and worse and worse and that I, I found that quite hard mm-hmm. to compare the two because they were so similar in, in a lot of ways um, and and that, that's, that, that is quite hard, isn't it, when you see that happening? Yeah, do you think, um, and I can just speak from my own experience with my daughter, but I think my daughter's experience with her grandma made her such a compassionate person. Definitely. Totally different from the majority of her friends in terms of how she looks at life and how she treats people and... I, I mean, it's it's kind of amazing. And people go, oh, she just got that from you. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, that was kind of my personality. But I, I think it was more than that. I think it was her personal experience with her grandma. 100%, definitely. Um, and when when she did die, and he was so sad that he died, but also he really, really missed going into the home and seeing all the other people. And afterwards... He said, can we still keep visiting? And, um, you know, we weren't, we weren't allowed to, but he really wanted to. That was part of his life. He loved speaking to him. He loved the fact that they all had time for him and they all, they all thought he could, old people love, on the whole, they love young children going in, don't they? And, um, I mean, my daughters as well, they, they had the same and they were a little bit older, so it wasn't quite the same for them. But, but they, they all have such an understanding now of, dementia and old people and compassion and um, empathy. Something that's not necessarily taught in school or even in families nowadays and such a critical key piece to life. It's interesting when you said your son still wanted to go back. Um, My daughter felt the same way 
even though it was hard and we had a really good relationship there. So they did let us come back and kind of, uh, kind of visit with people because we were just so part of the family up there. And, you know, it would be nice if, if more communities would understand the value of those connections, not only for um, their residents living there, but for the families themselves in terms of a healing process and in moving on. In the U.S., everyone's always like, we need volunteers, we need this and that, and, and yet I don't see that tapped into on a level that it, that it could be in some some instances here in the US everyone's you know worried that they're going to get sued actually in England we do there are a lot of schools who um I don't know if you've heard of the Duke of Edinburgh award where um children aged from about 16 upwards they 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 have to volunteer um to do something in the community and a lot of a lot of young people do volunteer to go into homes to talk to old people and it is very much encouraged in our schools over here, which is fantastic. Um, and a lot of people I've heard that young people, once they finish their um, volunteering, they just choose to go back and they carry on seeing the person that they were, they were put with and, uh, and it just carries on naturally. Well, and how beautiful is that? I mean, it should be natural. I mean, we should naturally be able to engage, you know, all people. Um, around us. One of the things I wanted to ask you was in terms of, you know, response from people who have read the book, what what kinds of things are you hearing? As I said before, the people who have experience of dementia in whatever form or whoever it's with, they really, it's taken them back. I think they can relate to at least one of the characters in, in the home. Children who've come back to me or put reviews up They've, they've just found it exciting because there's another side to the story as well, which I'll just say a little bit about. The reason Billy is in the home is because uh, his house was burnt by a fire and uh, only he and Gran were left. So that's why they had to move into the home. And Gran couldn't remember anything about their life. And Billy was only three, so he couldn't remember anything. So they didn't know what had happened to his parents. And the story is how Billy is trying desperately to find out what happened to his parents and the Russian side came after I'd written my first draft the second I I thought we need a bit more excitement here so the Russian side is actually telling the story of why the parents disappeared in the first place and um, and that that, that's a whole other side to the the story which I think is my means of getting children to read a book about dementia because if a 12-year-olds, oh, this is a book about old people in dementia. I don't really want to read this. So my way of overcoming that was to put in Russians and spies and fires and um, excitement and, and kidnapping. And, and that's what I'm hoping has, has drawn, drawn them in. So yes, it, it's worked on two levels. Um, and the adults love the dementia bit and the old people's home and all those stories and the children... I think they get quite a lot out of that. And I'm hoping they learn a lot about, about dementia from the book. But uh, there's the excitement element in there as well. Well, you definitely have to have that balance. One of the things I wanted to ask was, what is the length of the book? And are there, are there illustrations or anything in the book? No, there are no illustrations. It's, um, it's and, sorry, two, 292 pages. So 
that thick. It, it's quite a quite a decent length. I could it is on the long side for for middle grade, but it's quite a challenging book. So it's for the the thoughtful child um, who like who likes a good thick book to get get their teeth into. Um, but it ends it ends up there are a lot of cliffhangers throughout because I I like putting in cliffhangers and. Um, at the end, it ends. It's a satisfying ending, but it's not. It's not quite finished. So I'm now. Um, I've nearly finished the sequel, which is also including the old people's home um, and the characters in there. But it, it's going to um, round everything up. I was going to ask you if there was a sequel. So you answered that question. Yeah. So is that going to be about the a similar length to the first book then? Okay. Yeah. Well, and I can see where that intrigue and stuff pulls people in and, and uh, you know, of all ages, you know, and I, I'm a cliffhanger person too. I like to not know what's going on, try to try to figure it out and be surprised. And well, yeah, there, there, are the, there are some twists that um, that's one of the things I've been really pleased about because people say, oh, I didn't see that coming. And um, I'm, I really wanted to do that. And nobody's ever guessed the ending yet. So, um, so I'm very happy about that. Oh, wow. Have you ever thought about trying to um, pitch this as a film? Well, that would be nice. I, I, I think I, I, I would have no idea at all how to go about that. But, uh, oh, that would be a dream come true, yes. Well, it just sounds like it would be, uh, you know, there's a lot of films out there that, you know, try to portray family situations and stuff. And this has a little uh, broader um, reach and um, more diversity in it and you know has has an outside kind of theme um, and plot with it so that might be kind of an interesting way yeah. to to if raise awareness watching, anyone's watching who's into films or does anything to do with films and likes the sound of it i'm i'm available because i know i know you have to you know do script writing and stuff but they can hire somebody for that and, and convert a book but there, there seems to be a lot more energy and notice um, and appreciation, you know, for films. I mean, I, I think, you know, my mom's been gone since um, 2014 and she lived with it for 30 years. There was nothing out there at all, you know, and then there was on Golden Pond came out, you know, that was the one and only, you know, way, way back. And I mean, there just hasn't been a, a whole lot of films out there that stand out. But I think it would be, I, I, I think it, I don't know. I think you should manifest on that one, do a little praying on that one, because, you know, it, it's going to attract a different audience. And we need, we need so badly for our young people to get involved and understand this and, um, you know, capture them in the moment, you know, with this. So that, that would be kind of. Kind of neat. So, as far as is people purchasing the book, uh, how do they how do they go about getting it? Well, um, at the moment, it's on Amazon and in British bookshops, um, and you can you can buy it on Kindle as well. But um, I have no idea about marketing, and when I I decided to self publish this one. Um, partly because I thought it would be a really good challenge and I would learn a lot. And I did learn a lot because self-publishing, you have to do the whole thing yourself. But what I hadn't realized was the marketing is going to be really, really difficult because you have to um, 
you have to do all the social media and contacting everybody, bookshops. Are you familiar with All's Authors? No. Okay, you need to hook up with All's Authors. Anybody out there that has written a book regarding Alzheimer's and caregiving, All's Authors is a group you can find on Facebook. They have about 250 different authors and they have a podcast, they have a blog. Before COVID, they kind of had this little traveling library where they would go around and to conferences and things. Um, but I think that you would find them extremely helpful. And um, so I, I would definitely reach out to them. And they, they have all different kinds of genres from poetry to people with dementia writing books to family members to anthologies. I mean, they have stuff for kids. So uh, I, I would definitely um, reach out. It's just ALZ authors. I would also recommend Dementia Map. And Dementia Map is a global resource directory that we just launched. And we have three different you know, plans that are out there. Um, one is free because we think everybody who has a service product or tool is of value. And then we have two that are for fee, but they're economical and you get banner ads and can submit articles and you can have events. So if you started a book club or something like that, you know, that could be an event or all, all different types of things that can be done within the, within the calendar there, as long as it's dementia related. Those would be two places I would, I would position yourself. Through the social media, I have met some fascinating, incredible people who are caring for a parent, especially two young girls. Well, they're in their, well, they're very early thirties and both of them have mum to they're in America actually who who both have frontotemporal early onset and they put videos of themselves on Instagram and I just I'm so I'm in awe of them they're, they're so patient they're so kind I mean this is what you must have been through with your your own mum because she was young as well wasn't she and it's just incredible how how they I mean that they're they still have fantastic personalities. Both the young girls, you know, they, they, they're so desperate and they need help and they need encouragement. And I, I think they support each other. But I, I put I, one of the stories I put on my blog already and the other one is going on my blog because I, I just think any exposure, got to get it out there because the more people understand and the more people rally around to help, the better. Well, in the different different ages of people who are caring for somebody with dementia, you know, they, again, you don't want to be too stereotypical, but everybody kind of has their own baggage, you know, and somebody who's 30 is going to have different baggage they're dealing with than someone like myself who's 62. It just varies on what stage you are in life and, and all of those types of things. So, and I think that's another group that's kind of overlooked. We have a lot of children that are, you know, caring for loved ones because their parents are still at work. So after school, you know, they're in charge. And yet I would say for the majority over here in the U.S., families don't really tell the children what's going on, though all the dynamics have changed in the household. So they don't quite understand and they want to help. But I think a lot of times they're pushed away like, well, you're, this is an adult thing. And yet your son was brilliant in terms of his interaction and what he was able to give. And I think sometimes adults get too 
too much of a mindset that this is this is our responsibility when really it's uh, it's the family you know because that child needs to understand why the dynamics have changed because if they don't they start blaming themselves that maybe they did something wrong that they're not as big of a priority in the family as they used to be and as you said yourself your, your daughter my son we they got so much from from being with people and understanding that they would they were different but um the compassion that they learned from that experience that you you can't teach somebody that you have to go through it yourself and actually when um in my story really it doesn't tell anyone at school that he lives in an old people's home because he doesn't want to be judged for it and he makes friends with a girl called katie he's actually one of my daughters katie and um and he doesn't want her to know and he he says oh i i don't i want to tell her but i'm worried what she's going to do and um and when he eventually tells her he's i I live in an old people's home and she looks at him she says that's so cool i was so relieved he says she thinks it's cool and then you know she comes to the home and and everything's fantastic because she loves it and she gets on well with the old people and um uh, that was an, that was slightly another thing that I wanted to get across because it's it's not something to hide. It's it's, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. Um, it's part of life, isn't it? For sure, and I I love that reaction. And with kids, we never know what their reactions are going to be. But it also saddens me that that he knew people would judge, and yet he probably wasn't aware that he wasn't doing that where he lived. Yeah. So interesting. Now you had mentioned your blog. What types of things do you blog about? Okay, so um, I did a lot of research into dementia because although I'd, I'd met all these people and I had all these great characters, I didn't want to get it wrong. I wanted to make sure that I was, I knew what I was talking about, you know, and look, looked into it a lot more deeply. So a lot of my blogs are about dementia um and the different types of dementia and how they're brought up in the characters but also i I've, I've done random interesting people um for example we have um a boatman who who lives near near us and he, he's a bit of a legend and so i gave him a copy of my book to read and i've got a picture of him holding holding the book and uh, and talking about what he does so it's quite it's quite random my um my blog but it's just what I want to write about I, I try to help other authors as well I've put I it's nice to work as a team so I've, I've put on a few of other other authors who've self-published my nephew has just told me he wrote a short story about dementia so I'm going to try and persuade him to let me put that on because he's 16 so I think that will be really interesting he doesn't actually know anyone with dementia so I think to see what his take on it would be very, very interesting. Well, I know that it can be spooky, you know, to put something like that out there, but I would definitely encourage, you know, kids to do that, you know, and if he ever wants a little more, more exposure, I've got a pretty large audience, you know, feel free to, to uh, ask him if he wants, wants uh, to publish it on Alzheimer's Speaks. And then I, I also, I have it, I, I push it out on the blog, but then on my website, which I'm in the process of redoing right now, um, we'll have a section where people can just kind of browse through those things too that have have been written as well. Because I, I, you know, I just think it's something that gives people comfort. The more we can get people to share, the better off we all are. 
Yeah, I, the other thing I, I've tried to do, but I'm not making very much headway, is um, I've put together a PowerPoint for schools which explains a bit about dementia. And it's, it's actually, an, I'm, an, I'm a primary school teacher anyway, so I, I know how these things work. And I put together a PowerPoint which explains about dementia. And then there's a competition for children to write a, a story and it has to have the words, it's raining in Moscow and I forgot my umbrella to, to fit it into the story somewhere. And uh, I, I thought, especially during COVID when so much was online, I thought, teachers would jump at the chance but um, I have very very few back um, but those that I have back I'm, I'm starting to publish the children's stories and uh, and that, that's quite nice but I, I was a bit disappointed I, I maybe I'm not approaching the schools very well maybe I, I would have thought that they would be open to a, a, an explanation about how dementia affects people um, but maybe I, I chose the wrong time or I, I, I don't know. I, I, I will persevere with it though because I really think it's important that young people are aware because it can strike at any time and everybody has grandparents. Well, hopefully everybody has grandparents um, or knows people who are old and it's much more common than people think. And uh, if you know a little bit about it and you know it's not scary, that's half the battle, isn't it, for young people? Yeah, it, it might have been the timing with COVID. And I know in the States here, everything kind of went online. And the teachers were just like, how do we do this? You know, they were, they were, you know, just trying to figure out the system itself. And, and they were going through a lot of different variables. And then they went to their hybrids. And so it might have just been timing. Um, what I have found, because um, I've gone into the schools myself and not, not for years, and you might want to try something like this, is I did some interactive pieces in terms of engagement with them. So I had them wear like ski gloves and try to pick up coins and you can't just pick them up like this. You end up having to slide them off um, and using those to write with different size pens. I had some glasses, you know, that, um, and you could use any glasses and just put a little even Vaseline on them, but have them try to read different types of print and point out, you know, the importance of contrast, you know, that kind of goes as we age. So I, I tried to put in the whole aging piece there. I had them put popcorn in their shoes because a lot of them are in pain, but they don't talk about it. And so, um, and they, they loved doing all those little games and stuff. And then I also did one, which was really, really fun was I had them describe an old person. So I would just be up the whiteboard and I'd be writing it all down. And it was, um, I want you to describe an old person, what you think an old person is, what do they look like? What do, what do they wear? What do they smell like? What do they do? And it was hilarious. I mean, it was just hilarious. They bingo and they go gambling and they all have white cars and they wear tennis shoes and, you know, they're wrinkly. And it was, I mean, it was funny. It was just funny. And the women like to bake. And I mean, they were very, very stereotypical in this whole thing. <clears throat> so then I said, okay, great list. I said, now I want you to pretend you're the old person. And I want you to describe a teenager. And so we went through and they put all the things that they thought old people hated about them. I mean, it was just amazing. 
And I said, okay, this is wonderful. I said, now, now of this list you just made of, you know, old people thinking of what you are, do you think this is accurate? And they all, no, 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 no. And I said, so do you really think this is accurate? And they all just kind of sat back, you know, with that. And, you know, and then I would kind of work in dementia. There is one of these aging processes and um, do it kind of through storytelling. I didn't do a whole lot of statistics with them, but I did ask how many people have noticed changes in older adults in their lives. And just about every single one of them held up their hands. And it was probably close to half of the classes when I've done this have actually had to watch an aunt, an uncle, a grandma, a grandpa, or a parent at different times. And that just astounded me that it was, and yet it's not talked about. And so I just tried to approach it kind of from a different angle and have them really involved in the process and, and think about how we treat one another and reminding them what it feels like when, when we don't fit in and when we're treated poorly. They can all relate to that. The ideas that you just said, I, I'm going to go, go and write all those ideas down because I would like to go into schools when we're allowed to. And uh, the popcorn, popcorn in the shoes, that's genius. And, and the, way you, the way you've done that, I think that's fantastic. That's such a good way to actually experience what it might be like. Because it's you, you can't you can't as a child. I remember I remember um, a group of us tried to make ourselves look old when when we were about sixteen, and and we were trying to think how would we move if we were old, and we we just looked like sixteen year olds dressing up, mm-hmm. and you know but but putting popcorn in your shoes and Vaseline on your glasses and and using big pens or small print. That, that that's brilliant that is that is really a, a very small taste of what it might be like that contrast in writing I mean I had somebody just send me something the other day to review and they're like how is this and I'm like you know the content is fine I said but it's very fine print it's it's white on a light purple I said for older eyes that is going to be really really difficult and you know, we're so used to filling pages instead of really communicating, you know, what are the specifics that are needed. Anything, um, Caroline, that we haven't covered regarding the book? It sounds fascinating. So I'm, I'm very excited for you. And again, I hope you connect with all those authors. And I hope that you list it on Dementia Map too for more people to be able to find as well. Yeah, I'm definitely going to look at that. So as far as contacting you, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Through my blog. So my blog is carolineboxall.com or I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Yeah, any any of those, those ways. Okay, wonderful. I really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. It sounds amazing and we wish you the best of luck. And for those listening, I hope that you like, click and share this. Most likely, you know a family with kids where this could really help. And so again... You can find the book on Amazon or Kindle as well. Everyone have a great week. And again, Caroline, thank you so much for your time and your willingness to share your story. Appreciate it.